Welcome to Redemption from Addiction Podcast. This podcast is a Christian ministry aimed at helping people overcome their addiction by sharing personal testimonies about their journey. The testimonies shared have a common theme, and that is how Jesus Christ touched their lives and walked them through the entire process and is still walking with them today. I hope that you will be touched by these stories and you'll take the next step and invite Jesus into your life and let him redeem you from the strongholds of addiction. Good afternoon. Welcome, everybody, to the podcast. This afternoon, it's going to work a little bit different. I have with me uh, Jared. Uh, Jared is a person that I just spoke with two days ago, uh, randomly or divinely, however you want to put it. I'll let Jared introduce himself. and then. Uh, but today, I'm going to share my testimony about uh, my struggle with addiction. Um, we've had four episodes up until this point. Um, and I've gotten stories from four other people and I, I think it's the Lord spoke to me this week and said it's time that I share my story. So I had some, some clients that were lined up to, uh, to share their testimony and they kind of fell through and, um, the Lord worked it out for me to talk with Jared and, um, we spoke today is Sunday and I, we spoke on Friday evening and I just said, Hey man, why don't you come and interview me? I didn't want to get somebody that I knew because a lot of people that know me, at least from my addiction standpoint, they know my story. So they're not really curious about what to ask. So we've, um, we kind of had a little bit of conversation. Uh, Jared doesn't know, but about five minutes worth of my story. Um, but yeah, I'm going to let uh, Jared introduce himself and then we'll uh, get into my story. So. Thanks for joining me, Jared. Yeah, thanks for having me, Matt. Uh, yeah, like you said, it's been uh, it's been an interesting forty eight ish hours as far as connecting over the phone. Um, I think my dad works with you, so it was like a, a yeah. random connection, divine connection in this moment. And so uh, you, you shared about five minutes worth the cliff note version is what I call yeah. it of your story. And I was like, man, if I can do anything to help you out, I'd love to do that. And so. Here we are. We're hanging out at your house. We're getting this done. Um, and man, I'm excited just to hear your story um, and listening to some of the other podcasts. If you're new to this, you should go listen to the other ones. Um, man, those are powerful, powerful stories with your friend uh, Mike and Matt, I believe it was. Yeah. Um, those are the two I listened to, and, and they were powerful, powerful stories of just what God can do and what God's doing um, in you in this ministry um, and in your friends' lives. And so I'm excited just to be a part of that today. Um, but if you're ready, I'm ready for us to get started. I want to hear my story. All right. Well, let's do it. So, Matt, tell me about your childhood. You gave me the cliff note version, but we all know addiction doesn't necessarily just start in a moment. There's a lot of things that have tendencies that happened maybe in the past or things that have led up to it. So kind of just walk me down that road of, of what where you've been. 
Yeah. So um, I grew up in a town called Kenston, North Carolina. Actually, I say Kenston because that's the closest landing spot. It was actually LaGrange, North Carolina. I am 39 years old now, uh, be 40 in about five months. To start out with my childhood, I was born in 82. My childhood was, um, I, I wouldn't say it was, it was quite normal, actually. When I was born, my mother was sick with, uh, with brain cancer. And to my knowledge, uh, she was, she had cancer when I, when she gave birth to me, if, if I'm not mistaken. And if, if not, it, it wasn't very long after that, but, um, this was 82 and my mom, uh, she, she battled cancer for, uh, the next seven, seven years and until she passed away in 89. It's, it became a lot easier to talk about as I've gotten older. Part of that may be because there's not a whole lot of memory that I have from my mom. Um, and I, you know, it's nobody's fault. And I don't say that to, to cast blame or anything like that. But, you know, the, the memory that I have of her, a lot of it is that she was sick in and out of the hospital. I think I heard my dad tell me one time that she had, over the course of her illness, she had eight different operations. Wow. And was admitted into the hospital, uh, 16 different occasions. Oh my goodness. Uh, for, for, you know, just various things. Uh, lost her hair. So she did chemotherapy, radiation. Um, the same treatments that they're doing today, they were doing then. Um, but she, she lived on earth for another seven years after I was born. She passed in 89. Um, a lot of my, my childhood, or at least during that time, what I recall was me and my sister, who's a year older than me. We stayed, um, a lot of times with relatives. Um, close relatives like my, my mom's sister, my aunt, uh, she, she raised us, uh, a lot of the time. My, my dad's brothers, uh, he, they kept us a lot. Uh, it just, it, we were just kind of tossed back and forth from, from one relative to another. Uh, but let me take this opportunity to say that everybody that had a part to play in helping to parent me and my, my sister during that time period, I am so grateful. Um, and my, every household that, that, that I went into, I uh, had the presence of, you know, believers in, in there, you know, church goers. So I was, I was very fortunate to always had that exposure, you know, coming up every time the church doors were open, we were there. That really set us a, a solid foundation, you know, even considering the circumstances of my mother's passing, you know, I, I didn't miss out on that. And I'm, you know, really, really grateful uh, for everybody who in my family who stepped up and, um, and helped take care of me and my sister during that time. And then even after she passed away, there was, there was a time there where, you know, my dad, here he is, he's got two kids. Um, to take care of. Uh, now I don't want to, I, I don't want to leave. I have a brother also, but he's, he's actually 13 years older than I am. Okay. Um, now he, at that time was, uh, he was at, at college age and of course he was affected by it too. And right. I'll, I'll talk about that in a little bit, but yeah, he had a, a more of a, should I say a mother, son, mother, child relationship with, with my brother in saying that, after, after my mom passed, you know, my dad had a lot of hospital bills stacked up, obviously, you know, and he, 
he he just worked. He worked. He he did the best he could. He I remember he used to work for a glass company. Uh, he would get off work at four thirty, five o'clock in the evening, and then spend the next two or three hours at a body shop installing windshields and and vehicles that were that were um, that were under repair. I mean, he just he just worked because that's that's all he's ever known, and that's all that's all he could do in the circumstances. So obviously, <clears throat> had a lot happen, right? Your, your mom passes away, but it kind of sounds like dad in the process. Not only when mom was sick, kind of was working and trying to just keep things running, but then after she passes, it's even more so. Maybe he's kind of almost his coping was to go to work. That's what he yeah. knew, and, and it all in good reasons, right? Yeah. He's trying to to take care of y'all. He's trying to uh, pay bills and all those things. But how did that affect you? How did that affect your sister? Because now you've got one parent that's gone, and then you got another that's kind of just not really there, even maybe when they are around. Yeah, well, I mean, it was. You know, we we had to go to school after school. We we would go to an after school care. Um, one thing that that stood out is we were we were always the last to get picked up. You know, uh, because because my dad was working. I think the pickup time was at six o'clock, and if he ever picked us up at five forty five, it was uh that, that was that was a good day. You know, <laughs> um, and he. And I didn't understand it to the degree that I understand it now as a dad right. uh, and having gone through that. And I want to mention this. There was a book that I read about two years ago. It was written by actually my pastor. And he was recalling a time in his childhood where he was talking about his grandfather. Um, and he illustrated it really well. He said, he said, I used to sit there and watch my, my granddad shave. And the thought that would process in my mind is, I wonder what it's like to be a superhero. <laughs> and, and that, that stuck with me. And I, because I related so much to that statement, because I remember being that age and watching my dad, you know, sitting there in the bathroom, you know, shaving, mm. you know, just out of nowhere, you know, and I would sit there and think the same thing, like, I wonder what it's like to be a superhero shaving in the mirror, you know? Right. Um, but he, he was my hero. I mean, still is my hero. Um, he overcame so much adversity. Um, he did everything that he felt was right. Um, and I, I am so, again, I'm, I'm grateful to him. And, you know, he, he always maintained a, a level of discipline in the house where, you know, we were, we were regularly church goers. It may not have been on Wednesday night, but for sure every Sunday. Right. And, um, I, I want to mention some, something about my childhood there that, um, that I've realized now as an adult, especially associated with addiction is a relationship that I feel like I missed out on with my mom. And, um, and it's, it's something that I have to actively work on today as a person, but there was just a, a lack of nurturing there. Just there wasn't any really closeness, you know, how mothers, you know, nurse their children and, you know, I never had that, yeah. um, and I really didn't identify that the absence of that in, in my life and, until I got to be an adult. Um, and it, there's been some areas of intimacy that is struggle on my part where I have to actively, you know, be aware of certain things. Right. Um, you know, I was raised by you know a, a hardworking guy, you know, right. who, who 
you know, that, that was my, my pattern of behavior to follow. Right. Uh, and I think it was in 1990, 91, um, my dad remarried. Um, and that, that period of my life, um, and I want to speak to, you know, the mindset of where I was then. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, because that's a drastic change. Yeah. Now you're nine years old, two years after your mom's passed away. Now your dad's getting remarried, and that comes with a whole nother level of, uh, at times, conflict. Mm-hmm. And But for a nine-year-old, that's a lot of change to take place in just nine short years. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of kind of fill me in there. Yeah, so... I think one one of the the things that stood out, and I don't know if this is more in a, of an inherent, you know, behavior, but I I, I carried some resentment. You know, mm-hmm. I I can't really say, you know, where I felt like God was in this moment. You know, my idea of, of God, you know, at, at that time, I think the paradigm that that I can relate closest to was I knew I knew that there was God. I knew about Jesus, but there was. There was kind of a a fictional element to my understanding of the Bible. You know, when I would hear and learn about stories in the Bible like David and Goliath, Noah and the Ark, I had this illustration of what what I learned in Sunday school. Mm. You know, I didn't understand God to the obviously the level that I do today, right. you know, as far as overcoming adversity and and where that is in relation to somebody else that age, I, I don't know. But, but from a relational standpoint, being a, being a 10 year old with a stepmother now, um, I, I had some resentment just in general, not, not necessarily towards her. I just didn't really know how to feel or how to behave in that moment. Yeah. Did that affect your relationship with your dad too? I'm assuming. I think there was some, some of that because if there was ever any disagreement in, in the house, you know, and, Sometimes felt like that I was on, on one side, you know, obviously I, I sided to my dad and, and not to say that I wanted anything to happen, but it was just, it was just awkward, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's like not, not that she, not that my stepmother did anything wrong or, or, you know, she, I think there was some things that she had to learn too. Yeah. You know, it it, coming into a a ready-made family and, and trying to adapt to the, to a new lifestyle all of our own. Now, I didn't realize that at the time. I realize that now. And, uh, um, size 2020 now yeah. at this point, I'm sure going through that period of, of my life, you know, all the way kind of in the teenage years, I started, uh, just kind of drifting away in, into a, just like an area of re- rebellion, mm-hmm. you know, just defiant in, in a way, especially during the time of middle school. And there were some things that kind of took place in my middle school years that kind of when I, once I transitioned into high school, the decision was made for me to go to a, uh, a, a Christian uh, high school. Okay. So now at this point, you, you've kind of grown up in church. You've kind of got a knowledge of God, but where he actually played out in a practical real world that's real messy a lot of times is kind of still figuring that out. And so now you've got the decisions made for you that, you're going to go to a Christian high school. I'm guessing some of the things that happened in middle school caused yeah, that. Yeah. That was a you're going to get get cleaned up and go the right direction by this. Yeah, and I've said this many times now. Looking back on it, I, I can tell you the, the the summer leading up to you know starting my ninth grade year in high school, I was dreading. You know, I was mm-hmm. like, I think my mindset was this is going to be some kind of boarding school where they're going to, you know. <laughs> 
give you the lashings for this or that. I, I don't really know what, what I thought, but I was just like, I've been grown up in a public school all, all my life and, and I'm getting ready to go to a, a Christian high school. So this is going to be strict. This is not yeah. fun. Yeah. Well, Jared, I'm sure that impacted your, your friendships too, right? Cause yeah. I'm guessing all the people you've kind of grown up with, I mean, if you're like me, that's kind of how that works to so go into a Christian school. Did you lose a lot of friendships and relationships too? Or I don't think I really lost anything because I don't know if I really, if I really gained any meaningful relationships during that time. Gotcha. Um, it's like I said, man, I was just kind of in this state of rebellion. I, I was, I was kind of in a position of following, you know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't a leader. Um, I just kind of did what I thought would make people laugh, you know, even if it was dirty humor or what I, what I was looking for was attention. You know, I was, I lacked some nurturing from, from my mom and, and obviously I didn't know this at the time, but I was, I, I was just looking for attention, whether it was good or bad, it was attention, you know? And, um, it was just nothing, nothing criminal, you know, but just menacing, you know, minutes, some menacing behavior, you know, going, so going into the, the high school, I realized within about two weeks that I was surrounded by a bunch of other broken people, uh, a bunch of other kids who were just as rebellious as I was. Wait, so you're <laughs> saying the Christian school has broken people that maybe are just yeah. as crazy? Okay, yeah. good to know. <laughs> yeah, uh, so I, I didn't, I didn't feel so alone after all. High school was high, the high school period was probably one of the best experiences I had. Um. My graduating class had 15 people in it. Um, nice. I've got you beat. I had one. I was homeschooled, so I've got you beat. Okay. There. <laughs> All right. So there was, there was five, uh, guys in, that, which included me. And then there was 10, uh, 10 girls. And, um, you know, high school gave me an opportunity to, you know, compete in sports. I've, I've always loved sports. I always loved competition. What was your sport? I like both basketball and baseball. Um, but I was never, I was never really good enough to make the team at the private or the public school level. Gotcha. But at the private school level, if I've got 15 people in my class and then, you know, the other people, you know, from, you know, ninth to 12th grade, you know, their class sizes were similar. You know, I, I had pretty good chances you, of making the team. You were an all star at that point. Yeah. <laughs> but it, you know, I, I look back on that time. Uh, as, as a really, really happy time. Uh, I enjoyed it. I made some great friendships, some friendships that are even, uh, still today. Um, but, you know, I, I had, I had a good, I had already a, a good foundation, uh, from a biblical perspective, but it, but it just solidified even more in my high school years. Um, and one thing that, one thing that stands out during that time is I think it was my junior year from time to time, they would invite uh evangelist to speak at the church for a revival period or something like that. Well, if they were speaking at the church, they were also speaking at the school. Right. Too. Chapel type yeah. stuff, I guess. Right. Okay. So um there was a, and I'm going to plug his name. His name is Randy Hogue. Um, and I know he's still, he's still evangelizing today, but Randy, I shared a testimony um, about himself and about his struggle with addiction. Um, 
and what I recall about his testimony was, I mean, he, he was on the streets. Yeah. He, he experienced near death on multiple occasions and I had no idea really about addiction or about drugs or about anything like that. The, the extent of my knowledge on, on drugs was smoking cigarettes. You wow. know, um, I didn't even really understand alcohol that much other than, you know, people would, would drink beer or, you know, would get drunk. I didn't, I never understood. Even so you that, never had an introduction to any kind of drug, no, anything? Pro- okay. Wow. No. Okay. Um, you know, all the all the way through high school, I knew about it. I would see it on TV. I would hear about it, but I, I I couldn't understand or grasp the concept of what is it about a substance that would attract somebody to continue to go back and use it if it's going to put you in this state of incapacitation and isolation from relationships and other people. Right. I mean, yeah. that's majority of people today that yeah. if you don't have an addiction, or you haven't wrestled with it, or know somebody, that's still like. I do that to yourself, yeah. right? Like, why, why <laughs> just stop, right? That, that seems like, oh, it's just simple. Just stop. Yeah. But like, we know that's not, it's yeah. not that simple, yeah. right? So. And I, and that was one of the reasons, and I'm glad you, you brought that up. That's one of the reasons why I wanted this to, to, to launch this podcast, because I don't feel like mm-hmm. there's enough people that talk about it because there's a stigma around, around addiction where people yeah. don't want to talk about it or are ashamed to talk about it. And I, and I understand that I've, I've experienced all, all every stage of, of the, the, at least the mindset of addiction, but I, I would, I would watch shows and you know, I would just have a common, just a, a strange interest about, about addiction and, you know, anything that would, that would cause a person to just repeatedly to continue to go back and do something that they knew was bad. That was just, that was just captivating to me. Right. Which might be that rebellious stage kicking yeah. out a little bit of like getting yeah. so close to being caught, but why, why keep going back if it's going to kind of yeah. come back the same way it has every time? That's interesting. Yeah. And, and one thing that I recall too about that in my generation, the president was Ronald Reagan and <laughs> George Bush and Bill Clinton. Um, and I think Nancy Reagan did a huge drug campaign called Dare. You know, there was commercials that would, come on television and it would be this frying pan and it would have the camera shot over the frying pan and it would show an egg uh, being cracked over the frying pan. And when they showed the pan empty, it says, they say, this is your brain. And then they would take an egg, crack it on the frying pan and the egg would start frying. And this is, this is your brain on drugs. Goes, have you ever seen that? I haven't seen that one. I mean, I, I can follow, but no, I have, I, that's a little bit before it on my YouTube time. Now. <laughs> YouTube it. There it is. Somebody go YouTube it. You'll know what he's talking about. <laughs> yeah. And, and Jared, uh, another thing they were, and this just came to mind, uh, the sheriff's department in the town where I grew up would go to the public schools, uh, to the public middle schools and high schools. And they would, they were, there was this guy, he was appointed as a DARE officer. So DARE was an acronym for, um, drug. I might have to look it up, but it was D A R E. It was, it was an acronym for something. Anyway, he would come to schools periodically and talk to students about the dangers of drug use, marijuana, crack, cocaine, all, Come in there and just yeah. give you the give you the rundown, and then the 
Yeah. Don't do this. This is what happens if you do. Yeah. Um, so there, you had that. So that was, that was a generational thing where that I, I remember there being this at least deterrent, you know, to, to help kids, um, understand, you know, to stay away from drugs. And I, I listened to it, you know, I, I, I think I was always under this impression it would never affect me. Mm. Yeah. That'll never be me. Like, mm. I got this thing. Famous last out. words. <laughs> I got it figured out. It ain't, it ain't going to happen. So, so, so where, where is the change, right? So you're coming through high school. You, you've grown up in church. You go to a Christian high school to kind of help maybe tame some of that rebellion. Um, you're not really interested. Sounds like you weren't really interested in drugs in high school. Is that kind of did college and that sort of thing? Did that change life or was it the work, workforce or? Yeah. So I graduated in uh, the year 2000. Um, and listen, I, I took the, I, I took the same approach to life as my dad, you know, work, yep. work, work, where, where I grew up in, uh, in North Carolina, um, the Eastern part, there was a lot of tobacco farming. So every summer I was, I was working in a tobacco field most of the time with, uh, farmers who I went to church with, mm. you know, and after about the age of 12, 13, you can work in a tobacco field and pick up leaves or, you know, there, there's something, you know, simple that you could do. Right. And, um, so I worked every summer in the tobacco field. And when I got my license, I would say when I got my license, that was I had some exposure to drugs. Um, but I was still under the impression that it would it would never affect me. So let me mm. let me cover that for a minute. Yeah. So at 16, I got my license. Um, I started working after school at a restaurant and some of the guys that were working the restaurant, I would work in the, in the back in the kitchen area, either washing dishes or cooking or something. It was a very popular seafood restaurant. Saturday nights and Sundays were always very busy, especially after church. Mm. Um, but there was older, older guys that, that worked back there in the kitchen. Well, after work, Every night, you know, we would clean up the kitchen and you go home. You're supposed to go home. Right. <laughs> well, some nights, if my parents really weren't expecting me to be home until like, I don't know, 10, 10 30, because they knew it was busy and we got, we got wrapped up pretty quick. Everybody would always go to this guy named Rick's house. Mm. Well, at Rick's house, you know, somebody would stop at the convenience store on the way there and they would, you know, get a couple of cases of beer. Well, they, they were also smoking marijuana, you know, okay. and it was strange because we would go there and I, I didn't really, I just, I think I just wanted to belong to something. I wanted to feel like I was a part of their little clique or whatever. And I was young. They would go over there. This is when Nintendo 64 was popular. And they were playing um, this wrestling. Card. Oh, wrestling. No, wrestling. Okay. WWE, WWF, something <laughs> wrestling. They were doing that. Of course, I had a small bit of exposure to that. Then I would go home. There was one night that stands out that... Never got caught smelling like weed or anything. No. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I did. I, I, I think I, they, my parents did catch me. I don't know how or, or what, but you know, it was short-lived. Mm -hmm. Um I think one night that they had a, they had a 
a joint or a blunt or something like that. And they passed it to me and I'd never done anything like that before. And I had smoked a cigarette before. So I was, I took this, this joint and I pulled on it like it was a cigarette and inhaled all of it. And man, I just went into this uncontrollable coughing spell (laughs) where I just coughed and coughed and coughed and coughed. I mean, to the point where, you know, they were all kind of laughing at me and I just couldn't, I, I just couldn't get it together. Oh no. And I just, I went home. Finally, the coughing subsided, but I remember looking at myself in the mirror. My eyes were bloodshot and I had coughed so strong that I was, I was, you know, physically like shaking almost. Oh my goodness. And I'm like, man, I'm never touching that stuff again. Like, I mean, it was, it was not a good first experience right. for me. So that kind of was a, don't yeah. want no more. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it wasn't long after that or probably around the same time, you know, my parents got, got wise to it and, you know, said, you know, no more. get your, get your butt home when y'all get done. You know, we're, we're watching you kind of thing. And, uh, you know, I fin- I don't think I worked at this restaurant very long. I ended up going to work at a, another restaurant. Which was very, very good folks. It was a family owned place. My parents kind of, at least from an acquaintance standpoint, they knew who I was working for. So I had a lot of accountability there. And yeah, I, so I finished my, my high school years. And then, um, after I got out of high school, a few months after, after that, you know, I, I kind of wanted to, you know, I didn't really want to live with my parents anymore. But I, I still did for for a little while. My parents' rule was as long as you're living here, you're gonna live, you know, by we, our rules. Yeah, you're yep. gonna follow our rules. There will be some some kind of curfew, you know, and I didn't like that. Mm-hmm. So there there again, you know, I'm kinda I have nowhere else to go, but I was kinda in this area of rebellion. Well, um started dating this girl. I I think things just kind of started going downhill. From there, she wasn't in, into drugs or anything like that, but it exposed me to a different lifestyle that I would have probably been better off to not participated in. the 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 bad thing about it was the the girlfriend and and the family that I was around. You know, they were very open to not so much drug use, but you know, they were open to using marijuana and things like that, and. You know, I, that was kind of new territory for me. Right. And the relationship didn't really last that long. I'd kept my virginity all the way up through high school mm. and I lost my virginity to this girl. And so I, I was, I was really attached. Right. And it was a short lived relationship and it's kind of, kind of broke my heart. She actually ended up moving away. So it was like a hard break, you know, it's, like it's over, it's over like, yeah. and I'm, I'm just kind of crushed. Right. So now, just kind of rewinding, you basically had mom passes away, kind of moving around all over the place with different family. Dad's kind of not there. Gets remarried, still kind of having fr- tension there now with this whole new conflict. You're kind of in school. You go through school. You get to high school. You make some friends. You kind of get connected. But it seems like across the board, there's constantly this, I get close to people, and then they, they're gone. Or, or I get close to somebody, and something happens yeah. and changes. So it seems like there's always this dynamic of desiring people. Um but it's not always met. Would you would you yeah. agree? I hope I'm not. Yeah, I think I think that's I think that's exactly right. And actually, you saying that kind of kind of allows that to surface. It's not something I'd really considered, but yeah, I think there was um, 
a part of me that felt felt like I would I would get close to this person or that person and then then they would they would leave my life, you know, right. and I I would kind of be left standing there on my own again in search of a relationship to replace this one. You know, that after that relationship which lasted about I don't know, maybe three or four months, broke my heart. Um, now I'm, I'm at the age of, I'm 18 years old. I knew some of the places where I could go where there were bars where I could drink. And, and so that exposed me to this other crowd, right? Uh, more adult people. And I've, by my nature, I've always erred to being around people that were more mature, you know, Mm -hmm. that were adults. I could, I feel like I could relate and carry on an intelligent conversation. You know, I, I've always been a responsible person from a standpoint of working and, and making a living, paying my bills. And, you know, I've always been disciplined in that regard. But, you know, at that point in my life, I was, I was starting to, to get exposed to, you know, people who were drinking and partying on a, on a regular basis. So it's just a gradual kind of, yeah, one more level up, one more level up. It, it starts with a few people, you know, smoking marijuana. And then now it's like, hey, I've kind of, moved on to a relationship with a girl. Now it's like I'm moving on to relationship with people who are drinking and partying in that scene. Did you step into that scene at that point? Kind yeah. Of? Yeah. But it was, all, you know, I always wanted, I always wanted to feel like I belonged to something. Right. You know, I wanted to be around people that wanted me to be around them or, um, you know, dabbling in alcohol. Alcohol really was never my thing. Yeah. Um, you know, there was, it was more of a, uh, I'll, I'll drink alcohol if it's, you know, that's what everybody else is doing. You know, I just, I hated to hang over the next day. Even, even as a younger person, a lot of times people say, well, at that age, you're real resilient and you can come out of it. Man, I, didn't I would have your hangover. <laughs> I, I just hated the hangover and, and everything that came along with it. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so now I'm, now I'm hanging around people that are older. Um, and throughout different channels of, of people, you know, um, it was, it was a, a friend of mine who's still a friend of mine, um, who started introducing me to some other things in, in the, you know, what I would consider the more hard drugs, you know, type stuff, you know, cocaine, um, alcohol and cocaine, you know, together, never, I, did you, I, did you try that kind of stuff? Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah I mean, uh, I was on the weekend, you know. The weekend party uh, scene. It was a weekend party scene. It it was not something that I ever wanted to do in excess or do to get in the way of work. So it was you recreational. Know. It was recreational okay. completely. It was, it was something I, I'd say I look forward to, mm. Um but it wasn't something that I wanted to do on a regular basis. Not uh, something that you couldn't live without. It. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, I, I was more, should I say, addicted to the relationships and, mm. and the scene of, of what was going on during, during that time where that was being, that was being done, whether the, the, it was drinking or whatever. I just, whatever it I just was wanted to, to party. Belong. Yeah. yeah. Mm. It was about belonging. Um, so that, there was there was just some exposure there to some harder stuff. Um, cocaine was was the extent of which that you know I, it was never heroin, and even to this day, and I thank God for this. I 
I never had heroin. I've never seen heroin up to this point in my life. Wow. Um, never seen uh, crystal meth. I've never, I've never seen anything stronger than, than cocaine yeah. uh, in, in front of me. So I'm, I'm really, I'm really fortunate for that. But in, in looking back on it, there may have been a time in my life that had I been exposed to it, that it, it would have been a trap for me. Right. But so, so cocaine wasn't your thing. Alcohol's not really, or cocaine was kind of recreational in yeah. alcohol. But so, so where was it the kind of that, what was next after that? Was it just kind of, you're saying you didn't get the heroin and things like no. that. So you stayed away. Um, I mean, I just, for you? I think that, you know, during that time, it just, it, it just opened my eyes to that this is, this happens more often than I originally had thought. You know, all these things that I'd been given warnings about, you know, in my childhood, now I'm actually seeing this play out. And not just that, this happens more often than I ever, ever realized by people who you would never think would do it. Because they're still getting up and going to Monday through Friday jobs and whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, these were business owners. These were people that were, you know, in high positions in companies and banks. And mm-hmm. I mean, these are people that were, doing this stuff and living in the nice part of town. Right. Um, these are not the people that you see on the street. I mean, these were people who, who were living a professional life on the outside of their house, but on the inside, they were partying it up. Um, you know, there was, there was some elements of sexual perversion that were taking place too, where, you know, I can see where, you know, drug usage is also a gateway into, you know, sexual uh behaviors you know where people start uh getting into you know sexual things that they they shouldn't like sharing spouses and i mean i even had somebody invite me to perform a sexual act on their spouse so they could watch wow i mean so getting into some deeper deeper stuff that kind of most you're kind of like, whoa, that, that's never going to be an ask. That's never a question I'm going to get asked. Yeah. It's never something I'm going to deal with. And all of a sudden, it is conversations now. It is questions that you're asked. That's, I mean, that's a lot to take in. And yeah. So I'm, I'm seeing all this now. Let me, let me just say, I never participated in that. So, <laughs> Cover uh, that real quick. <laughs> I, I, I was just, I was really scared from from one standpoint. I, I would never want to do that. Um, but it was just strange like wow the, i think and i look on look back on it now i'm like wow the, the world really is that evil there yeah. really there really is just this because the bible teaches us that at you know, the heart of every man is, is sin you know mm-hmm. we have a sinful nature if it's not kept in 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 check by the by scripture and by the holy spirit you know we're probably, i mean you're you're on anything yeah you're willing to do anything man mm-hmm. you know Anything your heart desires, the the most evil thing you can do, you know, is is there, you know. And if it's not kept in check, man, it I I just couldn't. I'd never thought that I would be exposed to that. And I think I, looking back on, it, I was just really surprised to see that going on. Hmm. Um, but that all that being said, I had that foundation. I had that, you know, understanding. You know, I had a check and balance in place. Mm-hmm. I wasn't actively participating in, but it was always something that kept me from from taking that step in into you know going going into areas like that, 
right. not just with drugs, but with, you know, sexual perversion and things like that. So, right. um, that, that's something that the foundation really just kind of kept me grounded in that, in that moment. So, so, so where did things, where, where did it take off for you? Cause I know we, we've had some conversation about your addiction, so it's not really high school. It's not really even young adult, you know, you're, you're recreational, but, but where did your, where does your addiction come into this? Where, where did that, when did that happen? Well, my addiction kind of snuck up on me. I think that period in my life, it, just it opened my eyes and in a way kind of normalized some of that behavior not that it was something i wanted to participate in but it it, it just gave me a, a a different understanding of the world yeah didn't send I, red flags as no. soon as you introduced or saw something yeah and something that, that i i want to draw a parallel to is like when adam and eve were in the garden and god told them not to eat of that tree and and then Satan came in behind him and, and lied and said said you don't you don't believe that you'll surely die. Mm. You know, that's what Satan has done to, to us all over I mean from yeah. the beginning all the way till now is that is if we I can instill a little bit of doubt, mm. it'll it'll spread, you know. And and that's because what, what Satan said is you you won't die, but not only that, you You'll become God. You'll know what God knows. Mm. You'll know that you're naked. You know, what they didn't know is they didn't know the difference between right, right. They didn't know anything about evil. Right. right? But as soon as they ate of it, they, they knew they were naked. Mm. They, they, they had shame because before that, there was no shame. There was no guilt. There was no, there was no hiding. They were, Adam was walking in the cool of the day with, with the Lord. Right. You know, they had no idea of, what what the weight of sin felt mm. like until they did what God told them not to do, and I think you know that's the parallel in illustration that I think I saw at that time is that it was just a realization of how evil the world was. But then transition into this time, I, I stayed in my hometown all the way up till I was twenty six years old. I attended a community college. I finished my degree in industrial engineering. I was working at a, at a factory there. I was at a point in my life where, okay, I've got a degree. I want to go in. I had, I had this engineering degree, so I wanted to have the engineering title. I thought that sounded cool. Right. Um, so I was, I'm going to go find me a company that will hire me in as an engineer. I thought that was, uh, if I can carry that title, that'll be, that'll be a, a Did win. You live up to everything. <laughs> um, so I, there was some other thing, and I, I think deep down, I wanted to get away from that lifestyle. There was something pulling me away from mm. those people, th- that surrounding, because I, deep down, I wasn't happy. Right. I was, you know, in and out of relationships. I, I was, I, I will, I would never say that I was living a wholesome life. I, I wasn't going to church. I wasn't studying the word like I should. There was many things that I wasn't. I wasn't doing, but I was engaging in some, some drugs and some recreational use, but you know, some other things that, um, that I, I just wanted to get away, man. You know, lo and behold, you know, I had a recruiter who reached out to me and said, Hey, I've got this job, but you're going to have to move. So I was like, man, I'm, I'm on board. Um, and I move, I move away. I moved two hours away into Greensboro, North Carolina. Uh, start working for this other company. 
uh, as an engineer, I'm away from all the drugs. I'm away from, from all that now. And now I'm in a place alone. I know, I don't know anybody in Greensboro, North Carolina. How did that affect you? Going into it, I'm thinking this is a good, good clean break. I'm going to go to a new place. I'm going to start over. I'm going to start fresh. I'm going to meet new people. And honestly, man, it didn't happen. Mm. You know, right I, was, the I was lonely. No, no, I, I didn't. Okay. I, I was lonely. Yeah. And for about a year and a half there, it was, it was kind of a struggle. I would, I was dating on and off. This is when the era of online dating became popular and. You know, you would meet people online on Match.com or Yahoo Love. I don't know what they were, but <laughs> so I would I would find dates and, and things like that through through that, but nothing ever really developed in anything strong. Um, I just I was just looking for a relationship. Here again, I, I'm trying to belong to something. I'm because uh, all I had with me at the time was a dog, an apartment, my truck, and a job, and I was just kind of living that. I, I've always managed to, you know, I've always been interested in physical fitness. You know, uh, I enjoy working out. So I had that part of my life built in and I was even doing, doing that you know, when I was using drugs recreationally. Mm. Um, I've always, you know, I've always enjoyed a physical fitness and, and things like that. But so I had that. Um, but I just had failed relationship after failed relationship. Um, and then I met my wife. Um, we, we met, uh, in an online dating forum, um, MySpace, um, (laughs) this MySpace, for those of you who don't know what MySpace is, (laughs) MySpace was the Facebook of say 2005, 2006 Mm. time era. Um, we, we met, uh, uh, on, on that. I want to call it an app, but this was, you had to actually use a, (laughs) you had to use a computer PC to, to connect at that time. But, um, I met my wife, um, and, you know, we started dating and it was something about her that was really special. Um, she was older than, than I was. Uh, so I, I like that level of maturity. Um, she, I think that, that her maturity also, Help take the place of the absence of a mom because she, mm. you know, she, she had been married before and had children. So she had a, she had a motherly trait, you know, that, you know, showed a lot of care for me that I was really attracted to. She was, she's beautiful. I won't, I don't, I don't want to say she was, but she is beautiful. Good, good um, choice. Good wording. Good word choice. Uh, yeah. Um, she, uh, we probably spent two weeks just talking on the phone and, and messaging back and forth. I only knew her physical from, from picture, wow. you know, I, I had never met her in person. Um, and I was, I was just hoping like, I hope she looks like she does in this picture. Don't right? be catfishing me, please. Yeah. Don't be. Um, so we, but we would just, we talk on the phone a lot and I, I found myself always wanting to, to hear from her and, um, she was just always, she always made me feel like I belonged, mm. you know, and that was really, really something that, that I was drawn to, uh, especially in that moment in my life where I was lonely and, mm. you know, I didn't have anybody. I had her, you know, yeah. and, um, so we met and, um, man, we, we hit it, hit it off, you know, really strong. 
Um, it was a really good relationship and, um, I probably never really tell her this, but I think she saved my life, you know? Um, but we, um, we went, we went fast track on our, our relationship and got pregnant pretty early, <laughs> um, earlier than, than we had anticipated. And, um, in 2009, my son was born. Um, I ended up leaving Greensboro and moving up to Blacksburg, Virginia and okay. to be with her. That's where she was living at the time. And my son was born. And then I don't think he was quite a year old yet. Um, I was in, I was leaving work one night. I had started working at this tire plant, uh, up in Virginia <clears throat> and I was working a weekend night shift and it was Saturday night. I was leaving. I went to leave work. I had to be there at midnight and I was on the road at like 11 o'clock and up there in that area is in the mountains. So it, snow was regular occurrence around there and it had started freezing rain and sleeting in the ice started forming on the road and I went over a bridge and I got loose and the rear end of my car spun around and I hit a guardrail. I was just really in a state of shock for a little while. I didn't have a seat belt on. My airbags didn't deploy, oh, wow. um, but I felt fine. Like I, in that moment, I was just kind of in, in a state of shock and you know, I was more worried about getting my vehicle out, out of the highway so nobody would come up and hit me. Right. And the law enforcement officer came out there. I didn't even go to the hospital. Matter of fact. So you thought you were good. Like there's no yeah. cuts, scrapes. I mean, just the, just the general. Yeah. Got loose, had a wreck. There you go. Yeah. Okay. I, um, I, I actually ended up going to work that night. Oh, wow. So my wife came and picked me up. I went back home and I took her car. It had four wheel drive and I, I drove to work that night. Mm. I, I did have a headache as, as the night started progressing, but you know, I was just like, it's a headache, you know, no big deal. Right. Well, you know, fast forward a couple of months and I started having regular headaches, you know, had, had a pain in my, on, on my right side of my neck. Mm. It just would never go away, never go away. And I started going to a doctor, my family doctor and told him what was going on. He referred me to, you know, chiropractic, physical therapy, all kinds of different treatment. You know, he, he, he was, he did prescribe me some pain medicine during that time. Um, but he was very strict about how he was prescribing that. But what I was finding out is, is like all these other treatments aren't really working, but the pills make me feel, feel pretty good, you know? Uh, okay. And, um, around that same time, you know, the, the place that I was working, there was, there was a lot of drug use going on inside of the workplace too, especially, mm. especially the use of prescription pain pills. Wow. And there again, you know, I'm now my eyes are being opened again and I'm seeing this, this type of behavior, this type of thing taking place right here in front of me, you know, and it just, there again, it kind of just normalized that. Like, right. I think my mind was just like, I didn't realize everybody was taking pain pills. Like all of a sudden you see everybody's got yeah. something at some point. Your eyes are just drawn to it of yeah. knowing that's what's going on. Yeah. So um, you know, I would they would they would give me pills and you know, it it just started developing a pattern. It wasn't something that I had to have, but you it was something it. that I you know, it was like, well, this this makes my pain go away. 
I have, it, get, it actually gives me some energy. It actually makes me, actually gives me this euphoric feeling. Right. You know, where, you know, I'm, I was keyed into my job. I was, I was keyed into to this. It, for some people, you know, prescription pain pills will kind of put them to sleep. Mm-hmm. It was, it had the exact opposite effect on me. It would mm-hmm. actually energize me. And so for uh, you, it was just all benefits. Really. Yeah. It's taking care of my pain. It's giving me energy. I'm better because of being able to take these things. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, I'm like, I don't see anything wrong with it. I mean, it helps me. You is know, this is still doctor prescribed pain medication. Yeah. Well, it's not, so, I had a doctor prescribe me some, but I was also getting them from people that I work with. Okay. You know, gotcha. um, and you know, it just kind of, just kind of set the stage for what I wasn't anticipating coming. And all that being said, going back to being captivated by people in addiction, I would, there was a show that I would always watch that came on A and E called intervention. Mm. And, you know, people were strung out, you know, with needles in their arm and, you know, shooting up heroin, shooting up this and doing pills and drinking and, and all that. And I was like, I'll never, I'll never be that bad, but it, but, don't yeah you know, the medicine is helping me so i, I i'm justified in, in what i'm mm. doing right justification that's a yeah. that's a dangerous thing when we start justifying things to ourselves isn't it yeah and um you know i'd been prescribed pain medicine various different times for either you know um having wisdom teeth taken out or you know some some type of procedure um you know i so i i knew what i knew what it made me feel like Right. Well, um, this is what I'm covering is kind of over a two or three year span here where, you know, I'm seeing this going on at, at the workplace and, you know, it, it just kind of opened my eyes to, well, this is a normal occurrence. Mm. So in 2013, we moved to South Carolina from Virginia okay. and I started working for another tire company and, um, yeah, but but my, all my connections from the, you know, the pills was kind of cut off, you know, no, mm. I don't have this family doctor anymore. So we moved to South Carolina and I'm still having this pain. I'm still having these issues. Now I need to find a doctor here that is going to prescribe me medication because my mindset was I've already done all the, all the other treatments, you know, chiropractic, nothing's helped. Nothing's help. I just need to find me somewhere I can go where they'll, they'll give me medicine. They'll, It'll, Would you say yeah. you were kind of dependent on it at this point, or is it still that's kind of that in between? I'm not fully dependent, but I wasn't. I wasn't dependent on it from a standpoint of going into withdrawal and making me sick. Right. I, I had a mental uh, addiction mm. to it. You know, where I would, where when I go through times where I didn't have anything, I would just kind of be irritable, and you know, like somebody not having caffeine, not yeah. having enough coffee. They, yeah, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, but I, you know, my search continued. Should mm-hmm. I say, like, I'm gonna find? Well, you know, if you want to find it, you can find it. Mm-hmm. And you know, again, my mindset was, I'm, I'm still, I'm justified in this. You know, it's legal. I've got health insurance. You know, they're treating me. And I start going to this place called the, you know, I think it was pain management clinic. Well, they had locations all over the state. And I would, I would be sitting in, I remember sitting in there in the waiting room and looking at some of the people around me. There was people in wheelchairs. There was people that were obviously 
in some serious pain, has some serious issues. And I'm sitting over here just like the person you see in front of you right now where I'm like, wow, am I like that? You right. know, and I didn't look at them as addicts. I just looked at them as, you know, people who had, who had some serious medical issues. Mm. After about a year, you know, it became this, this every 30, 30 days, I would go back to the doctor and I started seeing that, you know, I would go in to the doctor's office. They would, they would make me do a P test. They're performing this P test on me because they need to make sure that I'm taking the medicine that they're prescribing and I'm not selling it. And on top of that, I'm not using any other illegal substances either. Okay. So, you know, I go and so I pee kind in of cup. guarding you from getting into too much drugs. You kind yeah. of got to stay strictly in one, one lane. Well, that, that's where I, I think the, the government comes in and says, okay, we're going to regulate it and this is how we're going to do it. Mm. Not saying that it's right or wrong. It's just right. that that was, that was the law that they had to follow to dispense these prescriptions. Yes. Um, well, so I'm, I'm finding myself trying to make 30 days. I'm living 30 days at a time, making, trying to make a prescription refill last until the next 30 days and the next 30 days. And every 30 days I would go back, I would try to manipulate us, you know, something to say it's not enough mm. because now, now I, now I do have a dependency on it mm. and I built up a tolerance. So it's, and not, it's, it's not doing it for you anymore. It's, it's not enough. It's like somebody who drinks alcohol. For somebody who doesn't drink, one or two beers is is like I can't. Yeah, I'm good. As a matter of fact, one or two beers for me today, I'm 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 good, right? But after you start developing this this tolerance, you know, then it becomes three, then it becomes four, then it, you know, mm-hmm. and I've I've known people that can put a 24 case of beer down in, in one, one evening. Mm. And, uh, but so I was in that, now I'm in this, this space where, you know, the, it, I just need to be able to figure out how I can get more. Well, the more I got, the more I used. And at the beginning of my prescription refill, I would use more. And then on the back end of that 30 days, I would have to then, you know, spread it out. Mm. I'll, by the grace of God, I was fortunate enough to not to at least have the wherewithal and the discipline not to not not to get myself in a pinch where I would have to go and seek it out on the street. Okay. All right. So that that I'm I'm, wow. I'm very fortunate to have gone through my my spell of addiction where I, I didn't I didn't resort to street drugs or or anything like that. But now, how did this affect you? I, Sorry to interrupt you, but how yeah. did this affect you with, with, I mean, you're married, you got kid, kids, I guess, in yeah. a way. So, like, how was that? How did it affect that scope of life and even work? Because I know you said, hey, work was, you didn't ever want anything to affect work. Yeah. But I feel like now And I was gonna, still like that. Okay, so you're still that way. So, I'm, I was still professionally career-driven, you know, holding up my responsibilities in, in that regard. Knew I had to provide for my family. But my mind was always occupied by the you know making sure that i had enough to get to the next 30 days mm. you know so if my mind is occupied by that i'm obviously not focused on other things in my life like my kids my family my wife mm. you know so i i would say i would say i was just kind of 
neglectful uh in in some areas i was um you know not engaged you know i was i i can tell you i wasn't a happy person mm-hmm. most of the time you know because i felt justified in taking taking the 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 prescriptions mm-hmm. but i felt shame and guilt on top of that because i knew here i am you know in my early 30s I've got I've got two kids now and I've got a wife and I'm 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 depending on a medicine every day when I wake up mm. you know to set my mind and set my mood the right way you know and you know I just but I would quickly revert back to you know, when I felt guilt and shame I would quickly go back to well I need it well I'm having this pain I'm having these headaches because God forbid that I didn't have it, and I would really be, you know, an unhappy person. Start rationalizing. This yeah. is why. This is why. Using those rational lies. Mm-hmm. I've heard it said before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was kind of three stages to it, Jared. It was like, so I'm justified in it. I'm getting treatment. I'm seeking a doctor. They're helping me out. I'm, do- you know, everything is completely legal. And then the next stage was, you know, now. I'm feeling gain, uh, shame and guilt and, and unhappiness. And I, I'm not getting a lot of fulfillment in my life. And I, I was being neglectful. Um, my wife and I were, were, had a lot of disagreement during that time. And did she I'm, know that all this was going on or she kind of just was aware that you were taking pain she, medication? I, I think, I think she knew to the degree that I was, yeah, I was going to the doctor and getting treatment. Um, I'm, I'm not sure, you know, when it became, it, when, when she became fully aware that I had, I had a dependency issue. Right. You know? I think that started to develop during that time where I was still in this state of, you know, when she would say anything about it, I would quickly like shut it down. Like, uh, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, you don't, you, you don't, you don't know what it's like. You don't know how I feel. You know, at the end, she was expressing some general concern and, um, you know, I, but I, I just kind of, I just kind of set that aside and said, you know, babe, I'm, I'm sorry, but I don't really know what else to do. But then I found myself feeling guilt and feeling shame and I started hiding. So that's what I was about to ask. Did you ever get to a place where it's like, Hey, I'm going to kind of hide this from yeah. her, or from people? Yeah. That's, I know, I mean, I've, I deal with a pornography addiction. And so that's like immediately you kind of hide that already. Cause that's not something people want to talk about. So I know most people who wrestle with an addiction or have gone through that. There's an element where you shame and the guilt, you kind of just hide it and you put on a good looking face on the outside. And then on the inside things are, it's a tornado going on in there. Yeah. So I was, I was kind of in that state, man. I was like, um, I, I found myself hiding it because I didn't want, I didn't, I didn't want to have to answer questions to when my next doctor's appointment was mm-hmm. because she, she was starting to want like updates like, what other treatment are they offering you? Are they going to give you shots? Are they going to do this? Are they going to do that? And my mindset at, at, at that point was, I don't care about the shots. I don't care about, I want, I just want to keep taking the medicine. That's right. the only thing, you know, nothing else has worked up to this point, you know, I, but I know this works. Mm. You know, I was just kind of under, under this spirit of justification in, in my, in my hiding, in my sin and, mm-hmm. and, 
and feeling shameful about it. So there was there was a time or two there where, you know, I she would be under the impression that I was I was going to work, which I was, but not before I went to the doctor that morning. You know, I just I just wanted to avoid the questions. You know, avoid conflict, avoid yeah. question. Makes sense. And um, in the early part of 2018, things really started surfacing uh, between between my wife and I as far as you know, the taking the prescriptions and, you know, it, you know, she was highlighting it as an issue and I was, I was still saying, no, no, it's not an issue. I got it under control. You know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not putting needles in my arm. I'm not, I'm not shooting it up. I'm taking it as the doctor prescribes it. And around about this same time is when this opioid epidemic conversation started really surfacing you know, on the media where, you know, people were, you know, getting addicted to prescription pain pills and being taken off of it. And then going to the streets, going to the streets for heroin, right? you know, because heroin was the substitute for that. It, mm-hmm. it gave that same effect. And so I'm seeing all this on the news and I'm, I'm like, man, that's, that's, that's not going to be me. I, I got it under control. Um, I'll never, I'll never get to that point. Um, and, and I, I'd, I'd say that I was pretty much convinced that I, I wouldn't never let it get to that point. Well, when, when they started cracking down on, on doctors and things like that, and it started becoming a, a social issue, you know, they, they started cutting back on what they were prescribing. So mm-hmm. for the last six or seven months of my addiction, they took me off of all everything, but they 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 just gave me one pill a day. Oh wow! Now, how so, many of you got up to at that point? So I'd say at its worst, I was I took different things throughout the course of my addiction. It, it started out, I believe, with tramadol, then it went to a, a Lortab, then it went to OxyContin, then it went. You know, then I, at the same time I was on Oxycontin, I was also prescribed, um, Percocet. So the Oxycontin would last a long time and the Percocet would last, it would, it would take effect really quick, but it, it would level off after about three or four hours. Hmm. So it was more of a fast acting pain reliever. Right. Well, I went from at one, one point taking like one Oxycontin per day and three or four Percocet per day. And then I went to one doctor's visit and they took, they completely took the Percocet away and I was just taking the one. Well, when I, when that happened, I, I went through this period of depression. Like, um, I was very anxious. I was, I, I had some restlessness, you know, where I couldn't sleep very well. Um, finally that, that kind of got better over time, but, um, I told my, my family doctor about it, not my pain doctor. I'm talking to my family doctor and I'm saying, Hey man, I'm, I'm feeling depressed. I'm feeling anxious. And he starts prescribing me antidepressants. So now, you know, I'm taking pain medicine and now I'm taking an antidepressant mm-hmm. on top of that to deal with the effects of it. You know, it was right. just this vicious cycle, man. Mm-hmm. And, um, about that, about that time, you know, my wife's like, Time out. You know, you're, you're on, now you're on antidepressants, which I was hiding at the same time. I didn't want her to know I was on that. 
um, she's like, whoa, 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 you know, you need to, you know, you need to get kind of get this thing under control. And I'm like, hey, it's all good. I got this thing. I got it figured out. You know, I didn't want to never worry her. And we were at constantly at odds, disagreeing. And, um, you know, things got pretty bitter. And, you know, she, because she caught me in lies where I would, I wasn't telling her when I had a doctor's appointment and things like that. And then she started not trusting me. So it created trust issues. And So now it's starting to not only affect yeah. just, just the pain, right? There's that element, but now it's starting to affect family uh, and obviously the relationship with your spouse, with your wife. Um, was there a breaking point somewhere in this or did it continue to spiral into work and the other things? Yeah, it, nothing, nothing really, um, affected work. I, I have to say to the degree where it was noticeable. I mean, obviously, you know, I wasn't in a good state of mind where, right. you know, I, I felt like I was always performing at, a, you know, at an acceptable level, but you know, the things that were happening in my personal life were all obviously affecting me at work, you know, from a, from a mental standpoint, you know, and there again. So yeah, you're it, saying very, just to be clear, you can be completely functioning at work and still be starting to spiral down out of control into an addiction, whether it's pain pills or anything. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I, I always kept my career, you know, at, as a top priority. Uh, I, I, that, that was just a discipline that my dad instilled in me. I think that, you know, I would, I wouldn't, I would never let something get in the way of that. Um, had it kept going, I, I don't know if, if it would have ever had any effect on that, but it just finally kind of all came to a head. I, I started noticing my wife was just kind of becoming more and more distant. And, um, I, I was also, you know, starting to feel really dirty. I was still covered up in shame and guilt. And this thought would keep running through my head. Like, man, you're, you're, you're 33 years old, 34 years old. And, you know, you're having to take medicine every day. This is not a way to live. You know, Holy spirit was really just speaking to me, you know, not condemning me, but saying, you know, this, There's this ain't way. right. This, this is not something that I, you know, I, I felt the Lord speaking to me in that, in that time. And I didn't know it was the Lord, but, you know, the Lord was saying to me, you know, you, you, you can live without this. I created you to do so much more than, than what you're, than what you're doing. And, um, you know, she, I, I started noticing that she was, there was, there was starting to be some distance between her and I. And, um, you know, we, we had a conversation one day and she's just like, I, I, I just can't do it anymore. You know, you, wow. you gotta, you gotta make some changes. And, and I, I think the changes were not, were not only the, the prescription pain medication, but just, you know, it was the effects of, of what it was having on me in terms of, you know, my engagement with my family and, mm. And I think she, she was also like, you know, you're, you you're better than, than this. And, you know, she, she was, she didn't like not trusting me and, and living through all that. And, and, um, that was kind of the first like urging to, to do something. And I kind of, I kind of sat on it for, for a little bit. You know, again, I still, 
I've still been a believer, you know, and I, I felt my spirit was, was praying, you know, for, for some redemption. I just didn't know what to pray for, you know. Mm. I just wanted the pain to go away. But I, it was a part of me. I didn't want to, I knew I was going to feel bad coming off of the medicine. And I didn't want to have to go through that. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't know what, what clicked, but there was one morning in early November, you know, I woke up as I usually do. I was getting ready for work here in the, in this house. You know, I was upstairs getting ready. I was in the shower and I felt the Lord and heard the Lord just speak to me clearly. And he said, this is it. We're, we're done. You know, wow. we're, we're, we're done. You're, 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 you're moving on from this. You know, we're, we're going to make a change. And I get, I get kind of goosebumps just, um, just kind of recalling that it wasn't an audible voice, but it, it was my inner spirit just like, you know, you're, you're better than this. Don't, and there was part of me was like, if, if we could go completely through and we separate, you know, as a family, I'm not going to let, you know, prescription pain pills, you know, be, the reason that I let that all slip away, you right. know, I was determined. I've always been a very determined person from my mm-hmm. career, but it, just in anything, if I've set out to do something, I'm going to do it. Right. And, um, so I wasn't going to let that happen. So I want to ask a question cause I was kind of piecing it together, but so basically during this entire time that you're starting to spiral into addiction and now you're even having this moment where, Hey, the Lord's dawning a light on you. You had a relationship with Jesus, like you were a Christ follower, so you're doing that, and this addiction is happening simultaneously. Um, is that is that correct? Yeah, um, I wouldn't say my walk with with the Lord was um, where it needed to be by any means. Mm. Um, I I had I think I think Jesus was a distant cousin, you know. Um, he was he was the friend that I that I would turn to. When I, when I felt it was necessary, but the other side of me, I'm in, in my flesh. I was just like, I got it. You know, mm-hmm. I was never, I was never really outwardly defiant, you know, to, to God in my spirit. I was just kind of like, I was under this uh, mindset that I've got it under control. I can figure this out, you know. Um, and I want to, I want to point out there was a part of, of this period. Yeah, I was where I was really so unhappy and I was so felt so much shame and guilt that I was never suicidal. I was never, you know, on the verge of, of hurting myself, but there was a part of me that didn't want to keep going either. Like, um, because knowing that I, I was taking these, this medicine and, and I was addicted, like, I just didn't want to keep living like that. And I did, it was, a period of time where I, I didn't see any other way out. And I felt like, you know, death was, was not, not so much a bad option in, in a sense. Like, um, I, I felt like I was putting, I was putting my, you know, people that love me, I was putting them through something difficult, you know, where I wasn't, I wasn't participating and I wasn't engaged the way I needed to be. And, you know, the, the selfish part of me was like, maybe I'll be better just, just if I'm gone and they can move on. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Um, 
but all you know, these random thoughts would just kind of cross my mind. But yeah, when I got up that morning and got ready, you know, I just heard the Lord say, "We're you know, we're done." That's all. I don't know. That was the only thing. I was like, "We're we're done. We're 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 going to get some help and we're going to figure this thing out." And I went to work that morning. I did did what what work I had to do, and then I started looking on the internet. Okay, what what treatment? Because I I knew I needed I I needed to keep working. Right. I didn't want to like have to take some some paid leave or anything like that. I I didn't because I wanted to keep it a secret. Right. I didn't want to have to go to my boss and say, "Hey, I'm I'm gonna go into you know rehab or anything like that." And I I felt pretty confident that I could. I could kick this thing at home, you know, mm. it wasn't going to be fun, but I could kick it at home. So, so how did all that turn? How did that go for you? Yeah. So I, um, after some searching, I, I, I called this place here, here local. Um, I think it was something Palmetto, uh, Palmetto outpatient or something like that. And, uh, I got an appointment I went in and I talked to the doctor, which the doctor was a former addict. I think he had an alcohol addiction. Mm. And my wife went with me. Uh, It was, I want to say, November 14th. Because my sobriety date is November 15th. Uh, So I went there. I told him kind of my story. And when I got done telling him, you know, my situation, he looked at me and he said, you're going to do fine. He said, I can tell you're determined. You, you, you're, you're going to do, you're going to do great. Mm. He said, it's, it, there is going to be some times that it's going to suck. Uh, he said, I think you know that. He said, but I promise you this. He said, I, I am a hundred percent sure that by the time your, your brain, because he, he applied a scientific approach to it. I mean, it wasn't a Christian organization or anything like that, but he, he explained it very well. He said, your, he said, your brain, it, it, the pain receptors in your brain have been numbed for the last five to six years. Mm. And those pain receptors have got to go back to their natural state. To do that, you have, they have to be without that pain medicine for a while. So everything, every sensation that your body should feel in the natural and you, you in the natural, you shouldn't even recognize it as pain. Everything is going to be painful for a little while, but it, but that'll, that'll go away pretty rapidly. Wow. Um, he said, and, and after this is all said and done, you're going to feel better than you've ever felt before. And I, I, I held on to that. Like, you know, I, I just kept looking at the two or three months beyond this point. So he put me on a, tapered regimen of it's called suboxin where it's a dissolvable tablet that you put into your tongue it kind of gives the same this the same feeling as as opiates do um but the the thing about this medicine is is that if you use anything while you're taking it it'll make you sick so it's it's kind of a it kind of takes the place of this this substance but at the same time, it's a deterrent because you, if you do anything with it, you're, it's going to make you feel really bad. Gotcha. So I tapered off on this stuff for about a week and a half to two weeks. Now I have to say I struggled for a little bit. I, I had, I had found my wife's, uh, pain medicine from 
a time where she has some tooth work done and I took a couple of those because I mean, it's just like, it's one thing to have to go without, but if you know that on the other side of that door that, you know, you can, you can break free from this at least, at least temporarily. I mean, it's, it's, right. it's hard to do. Well, I, I just was, I just wanted to avoid the suck, <laughs> <laughs> but that was kind of short lived, but, um, you know, I eventually, so this was November 15th. And by, by Christmas time, I was, I was this starting to feel 2018, like 2019, 2018, 2018. So as a, after, up until about Christmas time, I was feeling, I was feeling pretty good, um, by Christmas. And, um, you know, it, it finally kind of subsided. The only lingering side effects were, you know, some insomnia and I had restless leg syndrome for a period of time where I couldn't sleep really well. The only thing that, that helped me, I would come down here and sleep on the couch and the, the leather couch was really cool. So it kind of helped me get a little bit of rest, but it, it didn't last very long. It was just kind of unpleasant for, for a little bit. Um, so after that, um, I, uh, uh, I actually went through the loss of a job, uh, right at the change of the new year. And didn't even, didn't even think twice about using or trying to get back to wow. anything. As a matter of fact, I started really seeing how the Lord was working in, in this whole situation because, you know, I lost my job, but at the same time, I realized that had I not broke free from this addiction, that I would have not had the health insurance to pay for it. Mm. And had I not sought out the treatment, you know, when I did and I was still in addiction, I wouldn't have had any way to cover the cost of my medicine or any kind of treatment to get better. Mm. You know, so I was very fortunate and blessed in that regard where, you know, all, all my treatment from not just the addiction, but the recovery was, was all covered under my health insurance. And, and then on top of that, I want to say it wasn't, but two or three months after that, um, the this this pain clinic that I was going to, they got raided by the DEA, and several doctors got arrested and charged. Oh wow! <laughs> so they were doing some, you know, some pretty. It was it was a it was a peel mill basically. Right. I mean, they were doing some underhanded stuff. I don't. Mm. I read some of the the news articles about it, but they shut them completely down. Wow. Um, they charged a couple of the doctors in there with with criminal. Um, uh, charges. I mean, it was it was pretty. So the Lord, Lord, literally protected you from so much of of what was coming up down the line. Um, Yeah. But how did that moving forward, right? So now you've kind of you spiraled. You come back. The Lord speaks to you that day in the shower. You 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 go and you start getting help. So you're kind of coming out. Did you did you ever have a spot where you relapsed in any of that? I mean, besides the couple pills right there at the beginning. I, I really felt the Lord uh, on on this whole situation. Um, I started seeking Him a lot more in, in that in that time of my life. Really, when everything kind of came to, should I say, full, I, I I what I had sown, you know, in in getting help, I was starting to reap even after a loss of a job. You know, I saw I started seeing doors open up for me. 
and a life change that was necessary because an, with an addict, you, you start to associate certain things, certain jobs, certain places with that behavior. Hmm. And it's very healthy, I believe, with somebody who has an addiction that they remove that familiarity out of their life. And I think the Lord just kind of did that for me because there was, there was an element to my job. There was a tolerance, not just to the medicine, but I had to have a tolerance to, to put up with some of the stuff that I was because I wasn't really happy in the job. And, you know, I think the Lord took me out of that job because he had something else for me, you know, and it, it all needed to take place to take away. So just just that familiarity. I don't, Breaking I don't know. patterns of yeah. things. Yeah, makes sense. So I went to a men's retreat that was organized by my church um, uh, March of the following year, and I started interviewing for some jobs and started getting some traction on that. And um, uh, during that men's retreat, it was just, I, I guess there was probably 80 to 100 guys there. You know, we just, it was really... Uh, the theme of that whole retreat was just to reconnect men with the Lord, you know, be men, you know, what does the Bible say about what it means to be a man in, mm. in your home, uh, in, in the workplace, in, in, as a manager, as a leader, you know, all that. And I, I had a lot of things to just kind of broke free. My eyes got open to, you know, who the Lord really was, the Holy Spirit. Um, I was surrounded by other guys who were, you know, really strong believers. And I had a guy who's a, a good friend of mine now. Um, I did a podcast with him a couple of weeks ago, Brandon. Brandon had a word of knowledge on me and he's like, man, you've been through some stuff. And, um, I shared with him that, you know, I, I struggled with addiction and then he started telling me he had a, he had an addiction issue with alcohol. And, you know, I started realizing then that, you know, I'm not alone, you know, and, um, but after that men's retreat, man, you know, I just, the, the Lord just started blessing me in, in, in a lot of ways with my family, with, with jobs financially. Um, I felt better than I ever felt. I'd really gotten active in my workouts and, um, you know, it was, I was just, it was just, um, a good place, you know, mentally. Um, my brain had, had got back to its normal state dealing with pain. You know, I, didn't have headaches anymore. I was, uh, I had, I had a strict discipline of what I was eating. And, um, I, I want to ask a couple questions because yeah. I know I have friends and folks that I've worked with in the past that have, have wrestled with addiction, have come out of addiction. So two of the things they've told me is one discipline is critical to like helping stay on that journey towards recovery or walking in that recovery journey. And then the other thing is, is a lot of times you find, healthy alternative uh, addictions in a way. So like I have a buddy of mine that he is like all about CrossFit now because that was kind of the thing that working out and, and being physically active, that seemed to help him. Would you agree or do you feel like that's not necessary? Or? Well, a lot of people, you know, do say, I mean, you replace one addiction with another. And I, I would probably say, you know, my addiction became Jesus mainly, you know, the Lord, because I, when everything else falls apart, you know, I had to go back to scripture. I had to go back and, and know that, you know, when, the, when, when Jesus said, uh, in this world, you will experience troubles and tribulation, mm. but don't worry. I've overcome the world. 
you know, I had to hold on to that. I mean, there was, there was many things that I had to hold on. Jeremiah 29, 11, before I knew you, you know, I set you apart. There was things in scripture that I, I, I had to keep holding on to, uh, that when I would pray, I learned how to pray. I never knew how to, to effectively pray. I learned that God wants you and expected me to know what his word said and to, to find rest in that. I remember a verse talking about that. Uh, it's Matthew 4. Jesus is going into the wilderness and, and the, the devil comes and he's like, hey, you're hungry, you're starving. It's 40 days in the wilderness. And the devil's like, hey, turn the stone to bread. And Jesus is like, no, uh, man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word from the mouth of God. Yeah. And I think it's uh, it's a powerful testimony, the fact that that's what, in a lot of ways, helped you to pull through, was clinging to Scripture and clinging to the words of Jesus, the words of the Lord, um, promises that God has made us as believers um, that we can cling to because He is a good God who's faithful to Himself. Yeah. Even when we've messed up, right? It says that um, for we, we are faithless, He is faithful, for He can't deny Himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's that's such a powerful thing um, that, that that's almost the anchor that you held on to, mm-hmm. it sounds like. Well, and, uh, you know, when I, when I talked about earlier, when I saw when my eyes were open to, you know, how evil the world was at this point in my life, I, my eyes started becoming open to how real God was mm-hmm. and how real, you know, the manifestation of his spirit, you know, has a power in this earth. When Jesus prayed, when he said, Our Father who, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. One of the things that I've realized in, in, in this journey with my, my walk with the Lord is that every single word has significance to it. Every word, every the, every a, every comma, every therefore, Every, every single word in there has significance to it. And this has just been recently where I had to kind of be, I had to break free from this fictional uh, mindset of, of what scripture was and realize that this is, this is not fiction. This is, this is truth because nothing else Nothing else makes sense other than the Bible. Nothing. When, when you have nothing else, that's, that's all we have. And then I started, uh, I started, the, the scripture started becoming real to me. I started doing concordance, um, you know, journeys where I would find this and, you know, I would find this little treasure and I would, I would back reference it to, uh, something, you know, that, that was discovered, you know, Old Testament scripture and how there, there's still evidence today of, mm-hmm. of Mount Sinai. There's evidence of the Red Sea parting. There's evidence of, uh, everything. I mean, if you, if you seek, you, you will find it. And there's, there's not another, there's not another book. There's not another 
word on on this planet that has has any any level of truth than than, than what God's word has. Mm. And I've I've always been this type of person, like you know, I want facts, I want evidence, you know. And in in God's word, you have all of that. Mm. If you you have it all, and if Genesis chapter one is true, and I know Revelation twenty two. Come on, is is true. Come on, and you know those those periods in my life where I spent where I was, I, I felt shame and I felt guilt and I felt worry. I was I was broke free from that. I, I remember times during my addiction where I would I would be worried about world events. I would be worried about what was going on in politics. I would be worried about what's going on in the news and you know what's going on with the economy. That all went away, and and my my response to that became I I don't care what happens. I know how it ends. I I know how the story ends. I know where I'm going to be. I'm I'm just gonna rest on that. Nothing else matters, man. I don't. Yeah. Nothing. And I think I think that's an interesting segue. So you're talking about in your addiction, you're kind of the lay of the land, the world, things kind of produce fear and anxiety. And the Lord, hey, as you're coming out of your addiction, you turn those things to the Lord. The Lord gives you a peace about that, mm-hmm. but He also, in exchange for that, He gave you a heart for people and people around you. Um, and people who are maybe dealt with some of the same struggles and things. Uh, and I know we talked about this a little bit prior, but I, I want to be able to touch on that some in this podcast of just uh, how the Lord has now allowed you to be, as Scripture says, that same comfort that you've received, you now are able to extend it to others. You are a minister of reconciliation. How, how has that looked in your life? Yeah, so um, after after I came, you know was recovered and you know I was really acting out my faith, um, I was, I really just was, I had a, had a burning desire to seek the Lord. You know, I was reading scripture daily, multiple times a day. I found myself praying, I, you know, just my life completely changed, you know, where my focus, you know, came off of making my appeals last 30 days to my focus just became on the Lord. Mm-hmm. And I followed this mindset of, you know, I want to be a good husband. I want to be a good dad. I, I want I want to be a good employee. I want to do all these things. But if I, the goal is Jesus. Mm. Come on. So if if I pursue Him with everything that I have, everything else will happen. Mm-hmm. I'll be I'll, I'll be a good husband. I'll be a good father. I'll be if He's He is the goal, yep. right? Does does it mean that I'm perfect, man? Absolutely not. Right. It just it means I'm redeemed. It means that I'm uh, that you know I'm covered under under His blood. Mm. You know, um, I don't. It doesn't become. I don't actively have to pursue not to sin. I have to actively seek Him, and by doing that, I don't. Right. I don't participate in that. Mm. Doesn't mean I don't do something wrong. It does. Doesn't mean I don't sin. I have a sinful nature, just like everybody else. The focus has but, changed, but the focus completely is completely changed. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, where I don't live in, under the spirit of condemnation. Mm-hmm. You know, and so, but at the same time, coming out of recovery, you know, my life has changed and it's, everything is going good. I still was never comfortable talking about my my period of addiction. I was mm-hmm. never comfortable about talking about that, and you know, that time in my life. 
the only people that I would I would share that with were, you know, people that knew what it was like. They knew what addiction felt like, you know, they had experienced it before. Um then almost a year after my recovery, uh so my my sobriety date is November fifteenth of twenty eighteen. December 19th of 2019, um, my brother that I spoke about earlier. Right. So this is where the Lord just started working with me in the areas of helping other people. My brother, who is going to do a podcast with me, he doesn't know it yet. But, um, <laughs> Newsflash. <laughs> so my brother was, struggled with alcohol for, for a long, long time. And... I think we we both agree now, and we've talked about it that a lot of it, you know, at least started with the loss of our mom. It it started, but you know, it was more not just recreational. It just it just started creating a pattern of behavior, and you know, he he went on for several years, and his addiction to alcohol got worse and worse and worse and worse to the point where he's you know he lost his job. Um, it really got in the way of his family and his relationship with his, his wife and his kids. And I'm not going to tell his story a whole lot, but he, he was at a point in December of 2019 where he was homeless. Wow. You know, he, he had alienated his family. You know, they said, you know, you're not going to live here and, and do that. And he, he was out in the streets of Raleigh, North Carolina. Hmm. I had the Holy Spirit was just pressing on me about my brother. And even, even being an, an addict myself, I had kind of written him off and said, you know, he, he's been doing this for 20 years. He didn't want to do any better. You know, even knowing what it was like to be an addict, I was still like, I, there's nothing I can do to help him. He, he, he doesn't want to do any better. Well, strangely enough, my wife also was getting, getting urged to, and she didn't know my brother that well. Heck, I didn't know my brother that well. We, you know, his alcoholism had taken over and, you know. And y'all were 13 years apart. Anyways, we're 13 so. years apart. And in the latter part of, of his addiction, you know, he, he just kind of alienated everybody. And, you know, I, I didn't have a whole lot of connection with him. So, well, the Lord was speaking to me about three or four days prior to Zach Williams, um, did a did a lot did a couple of songs at a prison, and there was some videos you may have mm-hmm. seen them before. Yeah, and powerful, powerful stuff. And he sung. There was a song he sang called um, uh, "To the Table," and I saw my brother. I saw my brother sitting out there as a prisoner because. Zach Williams, he said, before, you know, as he was leading into that song, he said, he's, I spent 15 years of my life with drugs and alcohol. He said, I could have easily been where you guys are right now. Mm-hmm. And I saw my brother sitting out there as a prisoner to, to alcohol. And that song just kept coming back, coming back, you know. And he says, there's a seat at this table. It's just waiting for you to come pull it out. And so that song was just resonating with me. And 
And then uh, a couple of days after that, I had a former employee come back to the plant that I was managing. And uh, he says, he says, I hadn't seen him in a couple of months. I had to terminate him because he stopped showing up for work, but I never knew what happened. His name was Eugene. And he come, he came out to the plant. He's like, he's like, can you give me um, a record of my employment? And I said, sure, man. Where, what happened? Where you been? And he, I could smell the alcohol on him. I, I mean, he looked, he looked like he was just run down. And uh, he says, I'm, I'm trying to get some help, and I, I need to take this to the social worker and show that, you know, when I last worked and all that. And I said, well, sure, I can give that to you. And uh, so I went and got it, and um, I brought it back out there to him. And I said, I said, hey, man, um, I just, the Lord said, you need to pray for him. Mm. And um, But at the same time, it was confirmation from my brother. Because you know, I, you know, I was seeing my brother in the prison, and I saw my brother standing right there. You know, it, I could see my brother in him. He, he's struggling. He don't he don't know what to do. He's trying to get help. He's he's out on the street. You know, he's got he's got this 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 addiction that's holding on to him. And so I prayed with him. But at that time, I was it, it was clear to me that you know he Lord had put him in my path. You know, I prayed with him and the next day I got up, I called his wife and I said, Hey, I, I'm going to go see if I can find Crandall. And, uh, she, I said, do you know where he's at? She's like, I don't know, but you know, there was a credit card charge or something like that that she saw come through at this hotel. And I said, well, I guess that'll be a starting point. So I set out one afternoon. I looked at the clock when I pulled out the driveway here and it was, um, I think it was like, 146 in the afternoon. Wow. So I pull out. That's a five hour drive to Raleigh. Of course, I hit Raleigh at rush hour and it's December. So it gets dark early. When I arrive at this hotel, I go up to the attendant and I, and he was an Indian guy. And, um, I had a picture of my brother and I said, Hey, I'm looking for this guy. He's my brother. Is he staying here? He says, let me check. So I told him his name. He says, yes, he's staying here. I said, wow, what room is he in? He said, I can't tell you that. I said, well, can you call the room? He said, sure. So he calls the room. No answer. Um, he called housekeeping to go check the room. They checked the room. No answer. I said, okay. Thank you. They didn't tell me the room number. So I just go and I, I back my truck into a place where I could see clearly everything around me. There was some really sketchy activity going on here. Um, not somewhere you want to be. Um, I didn't even get back, backed into a parking spot. I looked to my left and the public bus was dropping off two people. And, um, it was about, you know, a good 50 yards away, but I saw these two people get off and I see this guy. He's walking. He's got a hat on, uh, cargo pants. He's got a backpack and he goes up to room. Um, I want to say it was 316. And, um, I, I watch him walk up. I was like, I'm pretty sure that's my brother. So I, I, I carry a firearm with me. I get out and I go up to this room. I knock on the door. No answer. I could see about six inches from the curtain to in, inside of the room. And, you know, I could see somebody put a backpack down on the floor. And uh, I knock again. 
And then the the hotel attendant, he happens to be walking up on this third floor at the time. And he's like, sir, he's not in there. I said, he's in there. He's like, no, he's not. I called already. I said, sir, thank you. But he's in there. <laughs> nah, just take a step back. Let yeah. me do what I need to do. <laughs> I was like, back up, bro. <laughs> so I knock again. Crandall. And I saw this head like whoosh, pop out. He he looks at me. He could see me through the you know through that that little bit of opening in the curtain. And uh, he just stares at me. I mean, I, he he was in a stare for about twenty seconds until I said, "Yes, it's me. Open up." It's getting a little cold out here. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so he comes and uh, he opens up the door, and man, he just falls apart. Um. He hugs me, and for a moment there, I mean, he, he his his knees just fell out from under him. Where he just, I mean, he just he just started sobbing, you know, crying. I mean, he the look on his face was like somebody who had came out of a cave, you know, and hadn't seen the light of day in in the last six months. And, um, once we, you know, we, he kind of gathered himself up. We kind of started talking and, um, he said, he just kept asking me, he's like, what are you doing here? How did you find me? What are you doing here? I said, Crandall, I don't know what else to tell you other than, you know, God's got, God's got something going on with you, man. Like the Lord's just led me. You know, I had this happen. I had, yeah, I had this guy at work, you know, I said, I don't, I don't know. I said, but I'll, I'll help you to the extent of what I know I can help you with, but you know, you're, you, you need to, you're, you're going to have to make a change, man. I said, but I said, if nothing else, whether you decide to do anything, just know I love you. Um, you're my brother. Um, I said, but I couldn't, I said, I couldn't live with myself knowing that if I woke up tomorrow morning and found out that you were, you were gone, um, that I didn't make any attempt to help you. And I didn't answer the call from, from the Lord. Well, you know, his, his relationship was more, was more based on religion and, and this concept that God was just judgmental and, and he, he was living under the spirit of condemnation and felt like that he would never be good enough to, to please God. And I said, man, none of us are ever going to be good enough to please God. None of us. I'm not. I said, it's not, it, it, I said, it's, it's not about that at all. As we, as we kind of kept talking, he's like, well, it's strange because today I was leaving the soup kitchen and as I was leaving, I was walking by this church and it was a really small church in the, in the downtown area and there was a cross in the front of the, the church. And he said, and when I, when I, as I was passing, I, I just got on my knees in front of that cross. And he said, all I could say was, help me, God. Wow. Mm. I said, wow, man. I said, um, I said, that, you said that was today? He said, yeah. I said, what time was that? This is about 1.30. I said, I pulled out of my driveway at 146. Mm. I said, you need to answer 
whatever whatever God's got planned for you, now is the time. Now is the time. Don't wait. <clears throat> Don't wait. <clears throat> he mulled over it for overnight. <clears throat> um, we had breakfast the next morning. And I could tell he was just kind of, you know, just this internal battle was going on with him. I said, Crandall, I said, let me tell you something. I said, you, you can come, you can come stay with me. I said, well, well, this was December 19th, December 20th, actually. I said, we'll, we'll do Christmas. I said, we'll kind of, this will kind of be a landing spot. I said, but I don't know anything about, you know, I'm not going to ration your alcohol. I'm not, you know, I don't know anything about detox. I said, but we'll figure it out. Let's just, let's just, we need to do this. I said, I said, the Lord's been talking to, to Cindy and, and my wife and, you know, there's, you know, there's something going on and, you know, you need to, you need to, you need to take this opportunity now. So we packed up what little bit he had and, and headed back here and we spent Christmas together and, uh, it, it kind of carried on a little bit longer than I anticipated, but I told him from the beginning and I, I kept my word. I said, I'm going to love you throughout. And I said, and loving you means that I'll help you get to recovery. I'm not going to force you to. And if you choose not to go, that's fine too. I'm still going to love you. You know, but you'll have to live that, you'll have to continue to live that life somewhere else. Right. And, um, he, um, after a few weeks, he, he went into detox because, I mean, he, his alcoholism was so bad that he would have died probably if he hadn't have, um, got treatment. Wow. You know, he couldn't just stop drinking cold turkey. Mm. So, um, I, I dropped him off at detox. And when I dropped him off, I had, I had such, I was, I was happy that he, he was going into it, but I felt such a sense of depression because I, I, I really couldn't understand. I was like, I miss my brother, but, uh, no, it wasn't so much that. And then I, it dawned on me about a day later, like this, this emptiness feeling that I had was, was just because I, I just enjoyed the blessing that I got from, from, you know, from helping him. From, you know, just, just doing something that the Lord had called me into doing, you know. And, um, after a few months and, you know, he, he went into detox. He went into uh, a treatment, which he's still, he's still active in today. Wow. Um, he's been, he's been sober and, um, my, some of the guys that I go to church with, one of them is Brandon. We, about middle of last year, we started a, uh, recovery group. You know, and he and I, and mainly him, he kind of let it off, but, um, we started meeting on a, on a weekly basis. And, um, I just found so much blessing in sharing my testimony and getting testimony from other guys. And, um, yeah, earlier this year, um, I, I felt that Lord was just calling me into, you know, doing something, you know, that to help the addiction community. You know, one is that I just want to remove the stigma of talking about it. You know, that right. we need to talk about it. We need to have these conversations. We need to help each other. Um, we need to let somebody else know that's going through it that it's, you're not alone. It's, mm. it's not only you that's going through this, this period of difficulty, but Jesus is the way. The, the main thing about when I launched this podcast was that 
I know there's a lot of a lot of different treatments out there where you can go into you know these twelve step programs. It's not is is not faith based or anything like that. For me, and the success that I've seen that people go through and the transformations that I've seen happen, you know, Jesus is is the way is is what brings people completely across the finish line and and keeps them there. I think I think some of these other programs are good, but when you're able to to see the Lord in this, it just it just makes it a really a sweet experience. And I believe, and the reason that I one of the reasons that I I, I post a podcast every Monday is because I believe that people that are in a, in addiction that they are the closest to Jesus as anybody else is, because if they want to make a change. And they want to do something different with their life. That that really, that, that's that's the that's the only way. That urging that people are feeling to make a change, it it quite possibly may be the Holy Spirit that's 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 trying to draw you closer to Him. You just don't recognize that it's the Holy Spirit. It, I, I believe that it is, and I believe that the fact that we try to launch this and post every Monday is because people in the addiction community, whether they're Believers or non-believers, a lot of times they go to programs that are faith-based programs and they have an experience and they have a Holy Spirit moment where they need to make a change. And after Sunday, they don't have any other, they don't have any other outlet to listen to. But on Monday morning, they, 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 there's something here for them to hear Come on. every Monday morning to sustain them and to give them confirmation that it's time, it's, it's time today. God said, Jesus said, today is the day for salvation, yep. today. Mm-hmm. And salvation doesn't have, even, even for people who are believers that have received their salvation, salvation can, can also happen. It, it doesn't have to be defined as salvation for your soul. This is salvation from your life to live out what God's created you to do. There is so much more that people in in that have struggled with addiction. You have so much to offer other addicts, yep. and you're you're going to be the closest to being able to help them. And oh, by the way, helping other people after you you've recovered is just additional therapy mm. for you That's to good. continue. That's real good. So it's. It, it's, addiction is a bad experience that the Lord, that Satan has put in, in the world, but the Lord has taken and used it for his good. Yep. And it, there's, it, it, it's a gift that can, can keep on giving mm. over and over and over and over again and over again. It's, it's something that, that you can constantly get renewness in. The, the Lord is just taking my life in my experience and it's turned it into something good. And I just want to keep doing it. I told, I told you before we started recording Jared that some of the feedback that I had from my previous podcast was I didn't introduce myself. This podcast (laughs) is not about me. It's never been about me and it will never be about me. Come on. This is about Jesus. This is about the redemptive power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit and, and for people to live out the fullness of what they've, they've been created to do. Mm-hmm. 
And I never want to, to receive any glory or anything from this. I want people to listen to this and be touched by it and to have breakthrough in their life and reconnect with their family and, and live out to be the men and women that, that God has called us to be. God never called you into addiction. Never. Come on. He never called me into addiction. But what I can say is that if I had to repeat my addiction over again, I would do it all over again if it meant that I helped my brother. I would do it all over again if it meant that I helped John. I would do it all over again if it meant that I I helped Jennifer, Sally, whoever. This whole experience, I I don't want to... I don't, I don't want anybody else to, to have to relive any, any pain or you know, anything that I put them through as a result. But from the side of the blessing that I've received from it, it has been completely worth it. And the addiction to the substance that I thought at one point brought me happiness and brought me this good feeling and brought me this joy. I'm experiencing the joy and, and the blessing of helping other people and, and the, the feeling of euphoria and, and all these, all this good stuff that, that you think you get with it. It doesn't even compare. It doesn't compare at all. And I think, I think that's what honestly just listening to your story, Matt, and, and hearing your heart bleed, right? This, this is the reason this podcast exists. It's to see people experience what you've experienced but i think it's amazing because you literally have been somebody that all your life you've been searching for that sense of belonging in a lot of ways and now you get to be the person that's saying hey not only are you not alone but you actually have anybody can no matter whether they're addicted or not whether they're you know in detox or not right now wherever they're at where we find ourselves that we can belong to a family of god that is free that is whole that is healed that you belong to that now and you are extending a seat at the table and extending open arms and open hands to anybody. Um, and that's, that is the power of the gospel, right? That's what Jesus said is that, Hey, I came and did this for you. Now go and do likewise, right? Love your neighbor as yourself, as I have loved you, go love other people. Um, and yeah. man, it, it is, it radiates off of you. Yeah. Um, and even just, Hey, as we kind of maybe come towards a close, um, what, what is your what is your statement? What, how would you respond to somebody that maybe, hey, right now, life just hit in such a way that it has turned their world upside down, and they are sitting here, not only questioning whether life's worth living anymore, um, but honestly, just they are running headlong into I need to cope with the pain that I'm feeling. I need to cope with with this feeling that I don't belong. I need to cope with, uh, me and me and my ex-wife, me and my wife, you know, we split up, whatever, whatever that situation may be. What is your response to them right now that, Hey, the addiction doesn't satisfy only Jesus will. How, how, what is your final statement maybe to that person right now? The first thing I would say is that to, to a person that is, you know, wanting to make a change or wanting a better outcome. You know, we all know the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. And if you keep doing the same thing over again, you're going to keep getting the same result. I can tell you, first of all, 
you you have to know that if if you're going to go through with it you have to you have to do it for yourself because if you if you go into recovery or if you you know try to make a change in your life based on what somebody else wants you to do it it won't be successful you know you wow. have to make this change because is something that the Holy Spirit is is leading you to do, whether you want to acknowledge it's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that's that's leading you into making this change and making this recovery. Do it for you because at the end of it all, you do it because you want you want you want to improve yourself, but at the same time, you want to walk with Jesus through through the, this entire process because the life that Jesus led and the example that he set for us, whether, whether it's you're dealing with addiction or you're dealing with something, some difficult circumstances or whatever the case may be, he has given us the tools and he has set the example and the pattern of which that we need to follow. And he, the, the life and the promises that he led and that he gives to us in return have an eternal life with him he's he's already paid we're bought with a price whoever is listening to this you are bought with a price and if you are the only one if you're the only one that he suffered and died for he would do it he would have done it he's already paid the price for you so there's there's no there's no sense in continuing to live inside of a space inside of a world where you feel condemned and you feel trapped underneath of your sin it's time to come out. It's it's time it's time to make a change. It's time to to reach the fullness of what of of what the Lord has to offer you through His Son. I think the simple simple message is, is that you've been bought with a price and it's already been paid. It's been paid in full. And there's 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 nothing that you need to do other than just. Just step into it completely. And, and Matt, I, I just feel led to do this right now in this moment, even just listening to you and thinking about whoever it may be. And maybe you're, you're listening to this and, this and you're questioning, well, how do I even do that? Like, I want to make this change. You're talking about Jesus. You're talking about he's paid a price. I, you're no church person. You haven't been to a church in maybe years or maybe you don't even care to go to a church because of what church people can be like sometimes. But you like this idea of Jesus that he paid a price, that he did it for you. And you, you're trying to figure out what do I got to do? Here's real, real, real simple. A guy named Paul who had his life transformed by Jesus and the understanding that he was bought for a price said that if we uh, believe in Jesus and we choose to say that he's our Lord, 
aka he's the boss, he's the guy that calls the shots, not out of a uh, he's, he's just mean and ugly, but because he loved us so much that he was willing to give himself for us. He, Paul says if we trust in that name, we call on that name, we will be saved. There's no work, there's no, I have to do this, I need to go struggle, I need to go clean up my act, I need to go through rehab or anything like that first. No, it. Paul writes and says that Jesus is very clear that it is simply you call on his name. And we all throughout church places, we tell us different ways of how to do that, but I want to be very clear right now. There is no special prayer and there is no special way to do that. You simply take this moment and you cry out to Jesus in whatever way whatever way that is for you, and you ask Him to do something in your life, you ask Him to make that change that you can't make for yourself, and I promise you that He will do that. that Absolutely. He will, he will transform your life in a way that you don't even think is possible right now. Mm-hmm. Scripture is clear and it says that He is able to do it immeasurably more than we ask or think. And so if that's you today, man, me and Matt, our prayer going into this and what we believe is that this podcast is meant to connect with people and not only just connect with them to let them know that they're not alone, yeah. but to connect them to to a God who loved them enough to pay a price for them. Yeah. Um, and so if you do that today, let us know. S- send send a message. Let us know. I know you can like and subscribe to the podcast and those sorts of things or send a send a message. Let us know. Um, Matt and I, we, we this is what stirs us up is to see people choose to live a different life because of what Jesus has done. Absolutely. Um, and we'd love to connect with you in whatever way. Um, but, but Matt, I'm going to leave it to you and kind of just close us out today, if you will. Yeah. Um, I wanted to make sure that um, in doing this podcast that I was transparent about uh, about who I was in my past. I, I didn't want to be getting uh, testimony and story from, from people um, without sharing my own. This podcast is completely funded and um, I, I fund it. I, I do it because I, I just love the Lord and I, and I, I want to follow the mandate of making disciples of, of people. Amen. And, you know, for me to disciple anybody, it, I have to be discipled. And I've had some great people in my life, as I've explained in my, in my childhood and, and my upbringing. Uh, in the times that I've had through my life, you know, I've had several people disciple me. And, you know, that's, that's the, that's the point. I want to touch people in, in the addiction community, but I'm, I want to just want to touch people in general. I love people. I want to, I want to see people have, have fulfillment in their life and have enjoyment. And I know that you can't find that in, in any alcohol, any, any pills, any, any street drugs, any heroin, anything like that. The fullness of, of what this life has to offer us, as Scripture tells us, is through through Jesus Christ, and um, and I want to I want to point people in that direction. And like I said earlier, Jesus is the goal. You know, being I want to be a good dad. I, I want to be a good person in the community. I want to be a good friend. But Jesus is the goal, and um, that's. That's my, my message. That's what, uh, that's the impression that I want to leave, leave on everybody today. So Jared, thank you for, uh, for joining me and, um, taking time out this afternoon to, uh, interview and 
even though, even though it was on short notice, man. I hope you enjoyed it. Man, I had a absolute blast, and uh, man, the Lord is good. Yeah. Just getting to get to be a part of this. It was a privilege. So thank you so much. Loved it. Yeah, man. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for listening to our podcast. I hope it touched you in a special way. I encourage all of you who are listening to ask God to help you overcome the strongholds of your addiction, and I promise you he will answer. And for those of you who are in recovery, I hope that this gives you encouragement to continue to fight through the temptation of having any thought of going back to your previous life. It does get better in the days ahead. Please don't forget to subscribe to our channel so you get notified when we post new content. And if you feel so inclined, leave us some feedback. I'm always interested to know how we are helping and understand how we can make this a better experience. Thank you, and God bless you.